because we had a day of prayer and fasting this past uh, Wednesday, and uh, I want to tell you that it, to me it was one of the best ones that, that I have participated in. And Mark, if you'll remind me, I want to show you a picture of John Long. <laughs> if I don't tell you now, I'll forget to show it to you, so you'll appreciate it, I think. Uh, Dr. Long was a, uh, one of our elders here for years. He is uh, uh, retired. He is 84 years old, and he still loves to fish. Tuesday, I drove down to visit with John and came back uh, Wednesday. And uh, he's, I mean, I appreciate the time, but he's, he enjoys the visits. So do I. If you would please look at Luke 14. One thing that is essential to uh, fasting uh, is humility. So we want to look at Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 14 this morning. And would ask you to please stand for the reading of God's word. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Luke chapter 14, starting with verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed that those close, that they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Please pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Father, how we pray for your grace. How we need, O Lord, to profit from the word read and preached. And I ask you, O God, to be with me. By no means am I sufficient to proclaim the the riches of the Scriptures. And your people, Lord, on their own are not equipped to receive them and profit from them. So we ask for your grace, Lord, for both. For me as I preach, for your people as they hear. We pray that you would help us to pay attention. And pray that you would help us, O God, to be instructed. And pray that your Spirit would apply this to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a song released in 1965 by a group called Paul Revere and the Raiders, and it went like this. Well, I had to leave town because of Uncle Sam's deal. Well, I guess my good loving's done lost its appeal. What is an appeal? It's a positive thing. How many of you know that song? Stepping out. What? You ought to listen to Parker and the Raiders here in Texas. Uh, 
So an appeal, if something is appealing to you, it means it's attractive. It's, it means that it's interesting. It means that it's something that you like. But if someone loses, if you lose your appeal for someone, well, it means you don't like them anymore. It means you don't really want to be with them anymore. It means you don't have an interest in them and you don't find them charming. You find them rather mundane, boring, unattractive, and perhaps even odious. On the positive side of that, how grateful we should be because had songwriters not had broken hearts, we would not have some of the greatest love songs that have ever been written. Adele, someone like you. Whitney Houston, I will always love you. You remember the old Carol King song, Will You Love Me Tomorrow? It's Too Late, another song by her. And then, of course, I'm So Lonesome I Could Cry. Great song written by Hank Williams, who unfortunately died at 29 years of age. Tom Jones, I'll Never Fall in Love Again. Patsy Cline, Crazy. That's a great one. And perhaps one of the best ones ever written. Had Jane Asher not left Paul McCartney, who would never have heard the song yesterday. That is a fine. That song's probably been covered more than any other song ever written. You want me to sing it to you? All right, I won't. It looked like that was unanimous right there. So, as tragic as it is to the person who we've come to find uh, basically fall out of love with them, even more tragic thing today, listen to this, is a lack of humility on the part of God's people. The lack of humility in our world, the lack of humility in our society. And if anyone uh, should be humble, it's the Christian. Christians have no reason whatsoever, no matter how you cut it, no matter how logically you may think about it or try uh, to carve the Scriptures so that we don't have to be characterized by humility, it is impossible to do. And you may say, well... Why do you make such a big deal out of it, given all the sins there are that can be committed? Why do you make a big deal out of humility? Well, for two reasons. One reason is uh, that God makes a big deal out of it. He makes a very big deal out of it. The scriptures tell us he is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Another reason that I think we need to, to consider it uh, is because it should be the characteristic of every single believer. And if you think to yourself, well, I would not have been able to accomplish all I've accomplished and been as successful as I have been had I not been a bit arrogant. And I would say this, well, perhaps you're too successful. Perhaps you've done too much. If it took that in order for you to accomplish what it is you have accomplished. J.C. Ryle said of this, let us learn from these verses the value of humility. Christ uses a parable 
of uh, two individuals who have been invited to a wedding. And it's very likely, as Christ was somewhere teaching, that people were pushing and shoving in someone's home in time to take the seats that are reserved for special guests. And he notices that. And being uh, the quintessential teacher that Jesus was, he takes this opportunity to give instruction about humility. So as we look at these verses this morning, what have us to see this, since humility is essential for faithful Christian living, since humility is essential for faithful Christian living, believers must seek to and in fact develop it and in fact embrace it in their lives. It is absolutely essential. And the first thing then is that being characterized by humility is challenging. What is humility? Well, it is a, a pre, um, it's a perception, how you perceive yourself. It has to do with humility, how you view yourself, uh, how you consider yourself before God and how you consider yourself before others. It is a condition of the heart. And it should be a condition that is influenced by the mind from what the scriptures tell us. The synonyms, gentleness, meekness, considerate. These characteristics describe one who lacks self-centeredness. Humility is the difference in putting yourself forward and letting others have first place. And the absence of humility will always give way to pride. The absence of humility will always give way to pride. And the person who is prideful has a high opinion of themselves. If I may read this quote to you. The proud are those who have an inordinate self-esteem, who have a high and unreasonable conceit of their own excellence or importance, this may extend to anything, now listen to this, to beauty, or strength, or attainments, or family, or country, or money, or rank, or even religion. A man may be proud of anything that belongs to him, or which can in any way be construed as a part of himself, or as pertaining to him. This does not, of course, apply a correct estimate of themselves. Again, of all of those in the world who have reasons to be humble, logical reasons to be humble, it is the Christian. And the arrogant person is going to have disdain for others. That's just the way it is. If you're self-centered and arrogant, if you're proud, you're going to have disdain for others. And if you are one who is exceptionally, exceptionally, extraordinarily beautiful, like my wife, then you're going to look down on those who either challenge you as far as how they look, how they, those who are beautiful as well, or really look down on those who are rather homely. There was a time in Hollywood when, and I don't remember this, I was not old enough to remember it, but Elizabeth Taylor was supposed to have been the most beautiful woman in Hollywood. 
I don't know why she was. I, I didn't see it. Of course, she was 50 or 60 when I got to see her. Um, but can you imagine the arrogance she must have had to be considered the most beautiful woman in the world? And she wasn't a Christian as far as I know. So you see, the absence of, of uh, humility always leads to pride. And if you're terribly, terribly smart, those who aren't quite so smart, you're going to have a disdain for them. You may even be impatient with them. And recognizing there's a difference, listen to this, there is a difference between having ability and not using it, not studying, not being diligent, and having ability and you simply have trouble learning. There's a difference there. One has to do with applying yourself. One has to do with being lazy. But the individual who just, and there are people, you know people like this, they just get it. They read things and they comprehend things. And they're just very, very, very smart people. There was a fellow whose father was a professor at the University of Southern Mississippi. The father's name was Dr. Brent. I had him for a history class. He's had a son who was very, very, very smart. His problem was that he learned more than anyone else knew about a particular subject, and there was no one he could turn to. He ended up teaching some university or working in cancer research or something. I don't know what he did, but he's a very, very, very uh, bright fellow. And so normally, whatever your gift might happen to be, Whatever extraordinary thing may be true of you, if you're not characterized by humility, if you are arrogant and proud, and then it's very likely you're going to look down on others who do not have the same abilities that you do. And it is illogical for us to be proud. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I've read this to you before. I don't know if it's been one of the verses that we've memorized, but listen to this. You probably are aware of what I'm going to read. First Corinthians 4, 7. Uh, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Basically saying that what you have comes to you from God. If you're terribly bright, if you're terribly attractive, that's almost an oxymoron, terribly attractive, very attractive. Uh, if you're very wealthy or if you have ability to make great deals of money, then that came to you from God. And so Christ here in this parable deals with the problem of pride. Uh, two individuals are invited to a wedding. I've been to weddings that are very, very, very fancy. One of them at the top floor of a hotel in New Orleans. Nice wedding. I went to another one that I did in Muscle Shoals, and uh, Melinda said, what am I supposed to wear? I said, where do you always wear? You know, wedding stuff. So she puts on a nice dress, and she puts on clothes, and we get there, about has on blue jeans. And she was upset with me. They didn't tell me they are going to wear blue jeans. And we pull up to the place where we're supposed to have the rehearsal, I mean, yeah, the rehearsal dinner, and there's nobody there. And I thought, well, have I gotten lost? And we sit there about 20 minutes. People start to pull up. The building's dark. 
And we get inside, I start to set up the, you know, the tables and the metal chairs and stuff like that. So it was my, uh, and these are lovely people. I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying that, that sometimes weddings are very, very nice. Sometimes they're very, very ordinary, which either way is fine. In this case, this, the Christ is talking about, I think, is fancy. I think he has in mind here a wedding like is talked about in uh, John 2, the one in Canaan where they have the wine and the celebrating and all that. I think this is the kind of wedding Christ is talking about because there are people there who are somebody in the story. So you've got two people invited to this wedding, and as we see them, the comparison is not between socioeconomic backgrounds it's between the contrast between attitudes, not money, not social standing. It's between the attitudes about themselves. So two men are invited to a wedding. There are similarities, same wedding, same person invited them, and they are going to need a place to sit. That's the similarities. What's the difference? Well, they arrive at different times, apparently. Uh, one... Earlier than the other, perhaps, uh, this one individual goes and takes a seat of high position. Let's say we're having some, some get-together or some fancy thing, and we have dignitaries up here, and somebody walks in and comes and sits in one of these chairs that are reserved for uh, Dr. Piper or Dr. Somebody. And he's not been invited to sit there. He's not supposed to sit there, but he fancies himself being somebody, and so he takes the seat. That's the image that Christ is talking about here in the parable. And you know what happens. The uh, other man comes in and has to give up. The, the man has to give up his seat because the other man uh, was uh, supposed to sit there. And so he's invited to sit there. So, again, the contrast is between one who is humble and one who is arrogant. And the answer to the problem is given to us in verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. And if you're sitting here this morning thinking this, I'm very humble. I don't need to hear any of this. I think you're misconceiving. Uh, I think you're kind of wrong about yourself. And that's not to say that someone who's prideful is always prideful, but there are times when we deal with that. I guarantee you it's a sin in your life that you deal with, or at least if it's in your life you need to deal with it. Certainly something that you need to deal with. So humility is not natural to us. We are born self-centered people by nature. We are in the sea of conceit, and we tend to sail in that sea of pride, arrogance, and self-centeredness. Have you ever seen self-centeredness in yourself? Have you ever seen that? Yeah, you have. Uh, I guarantee you, you have. I haven't seen it in me. And if you say something dumb like that, get married. And you'll find out that you are self-centered. And you do tend to be arrogant. And you do tend to be proud. And your spouse will tell you that, you see, when they see that in your life. And they should tell you that if you're being sinful in that way. The second thing is, uh, 
Being characterized by humility is being like Christ, is Christ-likeness uh, to exhibit humility. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. He's talking to the church. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Uh, 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 having the same love, being in full accord uh, and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. How far that goes in promoting the peace and unity of the church if people do that, if people apply that. Uh, look, e- uh, look each of you not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, take the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Now, of course, this is talking about the incarnation. And the idea here is that Jesus... Uh, was not so selfish and greedy as to cling to uh, that uh, glory he had within the Godhead, uh, but rather humbled himself, taking the form of flesh, coming for the reason of suffering for the sins of his people. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for yourselves, for my yoke is easy and my burden is like theirs, meek, mild, humble, Jesus Christ. Matthew 20, uh, 25 through 28. I'm not going to read it all because time's passing by. But then when Jesus says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That's when those disciples were arguing, I want to be at the right hand, I want to be at the left hand. And they're all quarreling about that. And Jesus said, you know, uh, think of me, follow my example. I did not come to, 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 uh, to be served, but to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. This means this. Humility must be a hallmark in your life as a Christian. Do you hear that? Humility must be a hallmark in your life as a Christian. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, we read this. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's the goal for us as believers. We are to be like God, therefore we are to be like Christ always. Not sometimes, not on Sundays, but always. We are to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, striving to be like Him. And listen to this, Acts eleven twenty-five. Through 26, and Barnabas went to Tarsus to seek Paul, whom, when he found him, he brought to Antioch, and they conversed there in the church a whole year, and they taught a great multitude, so that at Antioch the disciples were first called, what? Christians. Yeah. It means, it was a derogatory term. It's like a racial slur today. It's derogatory. But it means Christ-like. They were like Jesus. These people were exhibiting and demonstrating the fact that they were committed to Christ by the way that they were living. They were living obedient lives. They're Christians. Christ-likeness. So we didn't see the importance of being humble if we are going to be like Christ. And is humility 
is something that should be a part of our lives always. Always. It should be who we are. It should be what we are. Always. Always. And we should never, ever want to in any way set our commitment to Christ aside, lest we be embarrassed if we go out, because Jesus says this in Luke, Mark 8, 38, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words is the adult. In this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in glory, of the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You remember Paul also in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 said this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That Christ alone is the way of redemption. And so humility does not mean that you ignore what God has given you. You should recognize what God has given you, and you should use it. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, this on our coffee mugs. Whether therefore you eat or drink, whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So if the Lord has given you a great mind, use it for his glory. If the Lord has given you the ability to make wealth, use it for his glory. And whatever it is that God has given to you, use it for his glory and be thankful to him. The last thing, very quickly, is being a Christian and dependent upon the Lord brings blessings. Again, he is opposed to the proud. This is from Proverbs, and it is quoted by Peter, and it's also quoted um, by James. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The humble man who recognizes who he is before God, of his desperate need for forgiveness of his sins, of his redemption accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ, and of his need for the grace of God in his life, moment by moment. Most of you remember or have heard of Jeff Foxworthy. You might be a redneck if. Y'all have heard that guy. One of them said, you might be a redneck if you go to a family reunion to find a spouse. That was one of his jokes. I don't know what's funny about that. Well, let's consider this then. You might be arrogant if, okay? Uh, you might be arrogant if you hate to admit you're wrong. You might be arrogant if you find it very, very hard to apologize when you know you need to and you know you should. You might be arrogant if you always have to have your way. You might be arrogant if you hold a grudge and you just can't find it in your heart to forgive people even though God in Christ has forgiven you. You might be arrogant if you're willing to destroy someone's life to get your way or someone's marriage or someone's home or the church, whatever the case may happen to be. Well, the answer to this is found in Colossians uh, chapter 4. Uh, almost through chapter 4 starting let's see let's start with verse 9 
Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. One of the practices of the old self is pride. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, then, is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you. It's a choice. Humility is a choice. It's a choice. You can choose to be arrogant and self-centered, or you can choose to be loving and compassionate, putting others first, recognizing I don't have all the answers, recognizing I don't always have to have my way. Recognizing there are people as smart as and smarter than I am in the church. Recognizing that if I want to be like Jesus, if I really want to be like Jesus, then I'm going to put on. You see, it's an act to put on and practice humility. So if you look at your life and you see that it's kind of not where you are, pray about it. That's one thing that fasting at least came to my mind this time when we fasted was uh, how it just brings out humility in you because you recognize, you focus on your desperate need for God for everything. Everything. Do you know the Savior? If you don't care anything about being humble, you don't care anything about being like Jesus, you're probably not converted. But the wonderful thing is, meek, mild Jesus will still accept you if you come in faith and sincerity, and save you. Let's pray.